It's time now for our Future Sox draft preview show. Clinton Cole, James Fox joining you now. Uh, James is very well versed in the uh, draft world, so thanks for uh, thanks for joining me here today, James. Um, I know we tried to get uh, some a KC and Baltimore guy on guys on, but uh, just couldn't make that happen. So we're just going to talk about only White Sox uh, draft picks. It's coming up tomorrow night. We're recording this on a what is today? Um, Sunday. Sunday, yeah. So this is six two. The draft starts in about uh, what twenty five hours. So. Um, you know, we were talking about before the, uh, before we started recording that we think we know what's happening one, two or whatever, but we just have no idea what Baltimore is going to do. So before we get into the socks, uh, kind of tell me what you were, or tell me now what you were telling me before about the whole Baltimore situation. Yeah. So I think a lot of people right now just kind of assume they're going to take Adley Rushman. I think that's the easiest thing to assume at this point. Um, he is the clear best player in the draft. There are some questions about his shoulder, but he seems fine there. Um, new general manager Mike Elias came from Houston. They typically would like to underslot at one and then add talent throughout the draft class. I don't know how much they're going to be able to do that with Rushman, um, but I guess at, at this point I would bet on them still taking him. He's probably the best number one pick since Bryce Harper. Um, so, I mean, barring barring them doing something crazy, I think he's going to go one tomorrow. It's just a matter of how much they're going to pay him and how much they're going to try to save for the rest of their draft. All right, so let's just – we're going to do this show assuming that Rushman goes one. Um, and then Bobby Witt Jr., is that – that's the number two guy, right? It seems like he's pretty much locked in at number two. Now, I think the only thing that could potentially change that would be if the Orioles change course, go Bobby Witt Jr. at one. Right. Then obviously I think Rushman would go two to Kansas City, but I even I think um, I heard I was listening. To, uh, I'm gonna interrupt you. I was listening to I think it was Hit and Run today with, with Speaks, and they were talking about if something about if if Wit goes one that the Royals wouldn't take Rushman at, at two. Yeah, that's interesting. I mean, I feel like they would. I think I think if somebody else went one they'd still take Witt over Rushman at two. Okay. But but if Witt's off the board, um, I feel like they'd have to take Rushman there, but who knows? I mean, I, he, I mean he's it's pretty obvious. I mean if he if he gets to three somehow the Sox are taking him. So That would be yeah. that would be a miracle, I feel like. It, yeah, probably at this point. Um all right, so let's get to number three. So as as it stands so for our sake and our purpose, we are going to say that the top two guys and everyone's board seemingly are, are off the board with with Rushman and with um, uh, Bobby, Bobby Jr. Yeah. So for number for the third pick, the Sox can go a couple ways. As we've known, as we know, the last few years the Sox have gone college, college, college. Um, you know, I honestly, I'm going to be honest with with our listeners, I really didn't start paying attention to the White Sox drafts until probably. I don't know, probably 2014 when they took Rodon. So it was Rodon, Fulmer, what, Collins and Birdie, um, Madrigal last year. And Jake Berger was the year before. Jake Berger. So what all those guys have in common are they're all college players. So what we know, you know, obviously there's been some things coming out. Maybe they're going to switch gears and maybe go with a high school guy. Maybe they're going to take Andrew Vaughn, J.J. Blade. I mean, there's some other guys in there as well. Let's say right now, as we stand on Sunday night, um, you know, whatever you've read, whatever you've heard, who do you think the White Sox will take? 
Okay, so I've gone back and forth on this. If you would have asked me this three days ago, I would have told you it's C.J. Abrams, um, the high school shortstop out of Blessed Trinity High School in Georgia, just outside of Atlanta. That's been the hot rumor for about 10 days now that the White Sox were going to shift their focus, go with the up-the-middle player. Um, he's a you know just an 18-year-old athlete, something that they haven't really done of late. But then yesterday it started coming out, Jim Callis, um, the guys at Baseball America, there's a lot of people talking about C.J. Abrams falling, possibly. And um, there, there was a rumor that his his people were calling around trying to find a deal or shopping money because he didn't have a deal in the top six yet. So then all the mock drafts shifted, kind of sent Andrew Vaughn back to the White Sox again. So then yesterday it seemed like, okay, the Sox are going to take Vaughn, as people probably assumed for months anyway. But then late last night, by Jonathan Mayo of MLB Pipeline, he linked the White Sox to high school third baseman Brett Beatty out of Texas, and he's he's one of these guys. He's 19 and a half years old out of Texas, so it's, it's an old kid. It's a weird profile. Um, those guys haven't really been super successful that have been drafted, but he is supposed to be the best high school hitter in the class. Um, him and Riley Green. So I I don't know. That kind of seems like posturing to me. Okay. So, like, it kind of seems to me, and this is totally me speculating, that they're trying to get C.J. Abrams to take a deal at three. And, you know, if they were to take Brett Beatty at three, that pushes C.J. Abrams to, like, the seven, eight, nine range. So maybe that would get him to do something. Um, I guess for the purposes of this, I'll say that I think they get something done and they end up taking Abrams. Um, I have a mock draft coming out tomorrow morning for the Loop Sports, and I'm going to have Abrams in it, and I could – definitely be wrong by the time they come on the clock tomorrow night oh boy so let's let's forget about money and this and that and all this other stuff that actually does matter but <laughs> we're just gonna say for our sake that it doesn't matter who's the best player available if, if Witt and Rushman are gone probably Andrew Vaughn I mean it, he's a five foot eleven first baseman and he's right-handed so again that's like a profile that just doesn't typically go this high but he can just absolutely mash so He's, he's going to be quick to the big leagues, everything you hear. But, I mean, we've heard that, right? We've heard so, that hold on. Let me, let me stop you there. You think quick to the big leagues. I mean, everyone thought Magic would be quick to the big leagues. So define quick to the big leagues. No, exactly. And that's what I was going to say. Yeah. It's the same thing. So I think Andrew Vaughn can be in the big leagues within 18 months. But, okay. I mean, this is kind of the, the thing the Sox have said, right? And then these guys are still in the minors. I mean, we've had – there's high school picks from Zach Collins' draft class that are in the majors, and Zach Collins still isn't. And granted, he's a catcher. Catchers take a while. But, I mean, that's one of the downsides of a guy like Vaughn is that if anything goes wrong that, you know, you're, you're sitting here and you're pushing back a timeline to where a guy's like 23, 24, whereas he might be safer than C.J. Abrams. But if you hit on C.J. Abrams, I mean, C.J. Abrams could spend three years in the minor leagues and he's still only 21. So that's, I guess that's just like the difference with them possibly going younger here for the first time in a while, which is what I would lean towards. And it is, it, you know, it is kind of about money because you can save right. a little bit here, get a better player at 45 than you would normally get, and then they pick again at like 81, 82. Then you can get a better player there too. So it's actually, it's like a quantity approach instead of just taking the top college guy each time. But I, I mean, I think the jury's still out on what they're actually going to do. Why is this so confusing? Because baseball's weird. Um, it never go, you know. It's never best player available because they do the bonus pools. Right. Um, you try to get guys for as cheap as you can, po- as you possibly can. So I guess the way to look at it is like even if they took Andrew Vaughn at three, okay, the, the Sox signing 
bonus for that spot is like $7.2 million. But if they know that Andrew Vaughn's not going to go until five if they don't take him, they can try to get him to take money in between what the third pick should be and what the fifth pick should be. You know what I mean? So that's like what these teams try to do. And they don't they don't call and offer deals until right before the draft because agents are just going to shop the offers around. It, it's just it, it's just so weird. I just like in the, the other thing is you you can't trade picks. Well, like it just, that also makes zero sense to me. What what is the reasoning for that? I don't really know what the reasoning is. I think it's <clears throat> it's tough to do just because of the way they do the bonus amounts. Like like say you traded the tenth pick in the draft. Like you would also give that team the right to spend like the slot value. I guess that's like with that pick. But I mean, I think I think. Like trading draft picks would be awesome. I mean, that, like if you're a bad team, like I'd in a lot of cases I'd rather have draft picks than prospects, just because then you could go out and draft the kids that you want, and they could and they're younger right. and they're cheaper. So I mean, it makes more sense, um, and it would like add a lot of intrigue to the draft. But you can trade the uh, the competitive balance picks that are awarded, like in the after the first round and then after the second round. Some of those have been traded in recent years, but. Yep, no no draft trades with any of the any of the regular picks, but that's the other thing why it's kind of weird when these teams like even Nick Hostetler was on this week and he's like, "Oh, we have six names." And we, like why they have six names doesn't make any sense. Yeah, it's kind of it it kind of puzzles me too because it's not like somebody could jump in front of you. So like it doesn't really matter like who you like. Like if somebody at 1 or 2 likes the guy you like, they're going to take him. But like if you tell 4, 5 and 6 the guy that you're taking, like it doesn't. I mean, it's not like they can jump in front of you and take him. So it's. I mean, it's not the NFL draft or the NBA draft. Yeah, where we're not. We're not talking bulls, like that. which that's. I don't think Thankfully. we want to talk bulls, but um, it, it, it just like like he was on the broadcast as, as you said. We've talked to him. Everyone, all of us have talked to him. But he was on the Sox broadcast, and I, I mentioned this. I brought this up in our group chat, and uh, Ed Farmer and and Darren Jackson. We'll we'll leave that for a different discussion. But um, he's on the team for next oh year. Oh my gosh, yeah. those two should not be. But anyways, um. He asked Hosteller to name his top six. And Hosteller, you know, he said J.J. Baudet, um, obviously Adley, Bobby Witt, um, Andrew Vaughn. Who, who am I missing here? I think he probably mentioned Abrams. Abrams. Too. And then and then was it Nick Lodolo? Yes, uh, the, the lefty from TCU, correct? Yeah. yeah. I, it just... It just doesn't make sense why they have so many guys. I mean, Yeah, I, I think they went and met with six guys. And then, I mean, he did say last week that the most important thing will be stacking on one, two, three, which is obvious. But I mean, yeah, they really, I mean, look, man, they really only need three names. All right. So let's say what, it, what would be a pick that would absolutely shock you? I mean, I don't know. I, I think JJ Bleday is my guy that I think that if that happens, it would be like, okay, why didn't you take Abrams or Vaughn? Is that who? I mean, is there any way that they would take him? Um, I yeah, I mean, I, you've started to hear his name lately. Like, I guess I wouldn't be shocked if they took JJ Bleday. I'd be surprised. Like, I guess the only way would be if they decided that they're going college again, and it's between Andrew Vaughn and Bleday. You can argument that you'd rather have the seasoned guy from Vandy that got better every year because that's the best program in the country. He's a left-handed hitter, uh, right field profile. He just like has more defensive value because he's not a first baseman. And if they got him to take, you know, like a million dollars less or something, like if JJ Blade take six million dollars and you could use 
you know, an extra million later, whereas like Andrew Vaughn wants the full 7.2 or whatever, I guess I could see it happening. Um, it kind of goes against their best player available thing. Cause I don't think he's the best player available there, don't. but that's, that's subjective. I don't think he's the third best player in the draft, but I think that's subjective, right? I mean, right. the Sox, the Sox could easily think he's the third best player in the draft. And you know, these teams in every sport are like, Oh yeah, he's the best player on the board. And we have no idea whether they really thought that was the best player on the board or not. So, I mean, I do think it's one of, I think it's likely that it's Vaughn or Abrams, but I think it's like definite that it's Vaughn, Abrams, or Bladey. I think Lodolo is just kind of thrown in there because they want to have like a pitching option, but there's no way they can take Nick Lodolo with the third pick in the draft tomorrow. All right, so the first two rounds of the draft are uh, Monday night, then three through ten Tuesday, starting at uh, what time does it start? Um, I just I believe it's six central tomorrow. Six central tomorrow, but then on Tuesday it is noon, I believe. And then Wednesday. 11:40. It's, it's yeah, it's like earlier. It's like 11 a.m. Central. Know, it's I believe. like breakfast time or something. Who knows? But yeah. Anyways, all right. So after this first pick, then what happens for the Sox? So what? Where do they? Go, not where do they go? But what is their next pick after that? So they pick at 45. Um, so in the past couple years, they've gone over slot with a pick in the 40s, and they've over slotted. Tell, tell people what over slot means. I mean, a lot of people know, but maybe some don't. Yeah, so basically, like, say they have $1.4, $1.5 million to spend on their second pick. Um, they've given that player $2 million in that spot. They've done it with Gavin Sheets now. They did it with Steel Walker last year. And it's a solid strategy, but most teams do it, like, in order to get a prep kid or a high school kid instead of, like, a college guy. So the way – I mean, we don't really have proof that they push Steel Walker down the board. It's possible that they went to Steel Walker last year, you know, around pick 25, 26. They're like, look, we got $2 million for you at 45. So then basically when other teams call Steel Walker to draft him, he's like, okay, well, you got a top $2 million, and some teams might not do that. So that's how you it's theoretically so – Yeah, so that's how you theoretically push a guy down to you. Now, you can't stop somebody else from taking him, obviously. Right. So you might have, like, a group of guys – um, the guys at Fangraphs, Kylie McDaniel and Eric Wangenhagen, and then I just wrote about this on the website. They they think that the Sox are are going to go with back to back high school guys, or at least they want to. That they're looking at high school pitching at forty five. Um, there are a few candidates, and like I said, it's on it's on future Sox. So at at this point, it looks like a lot of the high school pitchers are going to go in the first round, but they notoriously fall in the draft, especially high school righties. They end up just. You know, you think they're top 20 guys, and they end up going in the 30s, and the Sox are at 45. So, I mean, it, theoretically, it could happen, I guess, there. So, I I would I would think that this is the year to add a high school player with the 45th pick. They have plenty of money to play with. They can use money from later on, which they've typically done. Um, so, I think that's the route they might go. And that's super late on, on Monday night, and I'll have – instant reaction to that pick and a profile written up as it's as it's made all right you're talking about righties high school righties who's the last high school righty that's done something i'm trying to think um well i mean one of the best pitching prospects in the majors right now is forrest whitley right of astros he went probably 15th or so but i mean no it's a it's a really bad track record i mean there's guys you know like in the in the past that have come out of high school like and they, um, they turn into good starters, but most of the times these guys um, bomb out. Like there's uh, the Sox when the year the Sox took Rodon, Michael or uh, 
the guy Tyler Kolek went number two overall to the Marlins, and he was one of these guys that was like the next Kerry Wood that threw over a hundred in high school, and then he got hurt for the Marlins, and he had a five ERA, and he never got out of able, you know. And these teams like talked themselves into it. I mean, even Michael Kopech. Yeah, that's that's uh, what I was thinking. Mike Michael Kopech was a supplemental first round pick, right? Like that year, you know. So there was like a whole big right-handed class. Um, Jack Flaherty pitched in high school with Lucas Giolito and Max Freed. He's he's pretty good, and he was right. like a, a late first rounder, I think. But most of the guys that have been successful have been like the fourth or fifth guy in a draft class that have gone in the twenties to a better team or something, rather than the high school righty that's gone in the top ten. So crazy to think about that. All right, um, so let's say, let's let's talk about some of these uh, current guys real quick, and then we can finish up a little draft talk. So some of these guys, you mentioned Gavin Sheets in there. I don't know what we were talking about. Gavin Sheets is one of these guys that, um, you know, he's got, who fits that, I mean, he's your prototypical first baseman. And he's, you know, a lot of people are like, oh, move Eloy to first or draft Andrew Vaughn or whatever it is. Is that Collins? I mean, obviously you can do whatever you want. But, man, if he can, if he can, make some noise and get to Chicago. I mean, that would solve so many problems in that White Sox lineup. It would. It would also be nice if you could, like, possibly use him to to trade if you right. needed to. Um, I know you spent a lot of time down there. You've seen his BP show, basically, right? So he can hit. He, yeah, he's a little bit different in, in batting practice than he is in the games. He, he, he hits for high average, and he takes his walks. He hasn't really translated a lot of the power to games which makes me right. skeptical of him because if you're going to play first you have to rake mm. uh and i don't know if it's one of these things where he's just going to get to triple a and then get to the majors and you know you get to use the juice baseballs and then all of a sudden you're a 35 home run guy i mean it does help that he has a hit tool and he he has turned it on here lately um for for the barons and that's a pretty massive ballpark and right. it's a it's lot, there, and yeah. it's a and it's a lot of big ballparks in the southern league but yeah i mean i, I think the jury is just out on him i mean he's never going to be a highly ranked guy because again he's a first baseman mm-hmm. but at least he's left-handed and i mean look he's one of these guys that could all of a sudden go to charlotte and he's got 17 bombs and then he gets called up and he's fine it's just you know it's it's kind of strange How about another guy that's already in charlotte that um Two guys, uh, you know, the two biggest names um, outside of, you know, Luis Roberts, I guess, would be Zach Collins and Dylan Cease, uh, maybe for your money. I mean, obviously Nick Madrigal as well. But let's talk about the two guys that are in Charlotte right now. Uh, your timetable for Dylan Cease, I've, I've been texting him and, you know, I've talked to him. And I'll tell you what he said to me after you, you you've heard some things as well. So what do you, what do you know? I have heard some things. Um you know, I've kind of like danced around it a little bit. Right. I, I think it's going to be here pretty soon. I think it's going to be within the next couple of weeks here. Um, I don't know if them pushing back Manny Benuelos is an indication or anything, but they did change up their rotation. Um, I said with informed speculation that I thought he'd be up to start one of the games in the National Series, which would be um, Monday the 10th here or Tuesday the 11th. So that's actually next Monday or Tuesday, so yeah, I, think, I, I yeah I think we could I think we could see him then, which would probably give him one more start in Charlotte. I think what they do with him in Charlotte is going to be interesting because I think he's technically scheduled to pitch Tuesday. If they move him back, you know, a day or two to line him up, then it you know then it might look like all things go at this point. But I think yeah I think he's coming sooner rather than later at this point. Um, I'm not going to tell the world, you know, I'm not going to 
break that trust, obviously, with Dylan. Um, but I will just say that, yes, <laughs> uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> sooner rather than later, um, it's not going to, from everything that I know, it's not going to be a Michael Kopech situation where it's going to be, when did he come up, the middle of August or something? Yeah, well, I think it was late July. But the thing with Michael Kopech is I think I think he was truly going to come up sooner, and then he struggled, so they right. didn't bring him up. But Dylan is not struggling. Uh, yeah, I 100% agree. So it's it's going to be – I will say that it's going to be sooner than Michael Kopech. How does that – I'm sure all of our listeners are going to love that. But, um, yeah, yeah, it's it's going to be sooner than, than Kopech. And um, – Well, and then you brought, up, you brought up Zach Collins too. Yeah. So – I um I'm I'm one of the leaders of the Zach Collins fan club. Um I, I just I like the offensive profile. I'm not positive that he's going to catch full time, but I think he can catch sometimes, kind of maybe in the mold of uh, how Carlos Santana used to be used with the Indians. Um he's just he he's got big time power. He takes his walks. He's very selective at the plate. Um he's he's doing well in Charlotte now that he's he's finally down playing in a hitter's park. And I, I don't know how much longer it's going to be on Collins. I think his situation, the, the guys on the big league roster do matter for him, you know, where, like, we don't think they matter. And I think it's really easy for you and I to sit here and say, like, oh, Wellington Castillo and Yonder, Yonder Alonso, just, just get rid of them and bring up Zach Collins. <laughs> but, like, you know, major league teams don't really operate that no. way. And so I think those two guys, like, something has to happen with at least one of them before you're going to see Zach Collins. And I think, you know, the White Sox have developmental plateaus and stuff that they want to see. I think when they think that they're ready to see Zach Collins at the major league level, they'll find a spot. And I, I mean, it will be sometime this year, whether that's in July or whether that's in September, I'm not really sure yet, but I, I mean, we're here, we're towards the end of this. We are finally going to see him, I think. All right. One other guy I want to talk about, and then we can, you know, wrap up with our final thoughts here. And that is Luis Roberts. I mean, this guy, last year, okay, so last year, as everyone knows, I spent, I was in North Carolina. I saw, I'd say, I saw about 55 different Sox affiliate games. I was in Hickory, you know, when Robert finally, finally was healthy. He was playing with Canapolis, saw his first hit, and all, all this other stuff. And, you know, then he got hurt again, you know, just, it was like, oh, is this guy ever going to stay healthy? He's healthy now, and we are seeing... You know, obviously still in double A, but for my money, I think this guy is going to be the best player on a White Sox team. He has that potential and, and he does everything. And what are your thoughts on him in your timetable? What do you think about this? So I think he does. I think everything you just said is correct. I think he's a top five prospect in the sport, yep. honestly, right now. I mean, he and the big thing for him is um, I mentioned this actually to James Fagan recently because he was just there watching him live is that even when Robert came over and he had all the hype and I wrote about him and did all a bunch of stuff on him. And I guess I took for granted the defense. Cause I kind of thought like, okay, he's, he's going to be traditional right field profile eventually, but he's not, he's a, he's ridiculous. Like in center field, but he's playing center field yep. and he's going to be like a big time impact center fielder with the bat in the superstar mold. I mean, what he's doing right now in double a is insane. So, I mean, look, he, he, he destroyed Winston-Salem, and then he went up to double-A, and I think a lot of people expected him to struggle, and he, you know, kind of had a feeling out process for, like, three days, and then he absolutely took off. And this is what the really good ones do. So, as far as his timetable, 
Um, I'm not really sure. Just because, like, so they've kind of been slow playing this thing. I almost feel like if he did struggle a little bit, the Sox, like, might actually prefer that yeah. because now they're now they're kind of in this spot where everybody's going to be asking for Luis Robert. And I think in an ideal world for them, he doesn't come up until whatever the date is, like, 10 days into next season. So then you get, like, the seventh year of control. I mean, it is a big deal. Um, like, if you were to... If you're going to bring him up, if he's going to be on your opening day roster next year, though, I think he's got to come up this year. Because if you if he's on your opening day roster next year, you have him for six years, including next year. If you bring him up this year, towards the end of the year, you know, you have him for the next six years. So, you know, that's like the only real way that it makes sense. I mean, I think he could come up right now and be fine. Uh, I think he, yeah, he'd be more than fine. He, yep. he might, he, um, you know, he wouldn't be necessarily your best player right now, but he, yes, could definitely hold his own in the majors. I mean, he, you could tell me that if he, he could play rock solid defense in center field and have an OPS around or over 700, I mean, probably fairly easily. All right, let's uh, let's wrap things up here. Well, actually, one more thing, Nick Madrigal, um, the guy that I, as, as folks know, I have not been. As high on as, you know, I think it's, we did our rankings and stuff. I think I'm probably, the, I think I had the lowest ranking of him of anyone at Future Sox. And I've said it since the day they drafted him. Um, I just, I, I don't know. I, what, tell me what you think about him, <laughs> I guess. I don't know. Yeah, I mean, I think the pick made sense because he was, you know, he was the best college hitter in the class last year. He was hurt with a wrist injury. He's getting himself back from that still. He he's has a nice turned, guy. He's a great guy. Let's, let's yeah. not get that wrong. So, at all. Yeah. so he has turned it on here lately. He's just, he's not for everybody because he's he's very <laughs> much sure. he's, he's he's very much old school because he so he he almost has to hit like three thirty to be effective because he doesn't walk a ton, um, and obviously he could learn how to do that and his his 70 hit tool is big time so i guess the thought is with nick madrigal that he's going to get to the higher levels of the minors that he's going to make so much contact that you know the new baseballs are going to fly and he might be like a 10 to 12 home run guy who plays gold glove defense at second his defense has been fantastic at winston-salem so that's one thing for you but he's got to be you know a table setter on offense and he's just going to have to He's going to have to take more walks. He despises strikeouts, which is nice, but, I mean, sometimes, you know, that just means you ground to the second baseman more instead of striking out. Like, yeah. if you, I'd, almost, I'd almost rather have you strike out more and take more walks than, you know, try to make contact constantly. So, I mean, it, I think he's trending upward. I think he's been better over the last, like, 12 to 15 games. I think if he continues, you'll see him in Birmingham because he's – you know, one of these guys who you can kind of move him through the system because with his contact rate, he's he's probably going to be able to hit similarly at every level, and his defense is pretty much ready. Um, but I think people were expecting a little bit more in a ball out of the best college hitter in the class last year. All right, so let's let's wrap things up. I said we we're going to talk for 15 minutes. We've been talking for I don't, I don't even know. I can't even I didn't even figure it out. All right, so your final your final thought. You think they're going with who tomorrow night? I think they're going to take C.J. Abrams, the high school shortstop. Um, if they take Andrew Vaughn, I won't be surprised. I won't be unhappy. I think either pick is fine. I think it um, kind of dictates what you do maybe with the rest of your draft a little bit. Okay. But so there's like you know differing paths. I think it'll be one of those two guys unless 
Baltimore does something crazy. So cross your fingers because Baltimore doing something crazy would be very, very good for the White Sox. All right. Well, there we go. Uh, we will have a draft recap. Uh, James and I will talk draft recap. Um, so the draft ends Wednesday. Uh, I don't know when we can do it. We'll, you know, we'll get to it. I don't know. We'll get to it. Um, we'll do something, you know, maybe not till the weekend again, but we'll also have Jim Callis, Nick Hosteller on as well again to really, you know, those guys obviously know way more than we do combined times a million. Uh, so we'll definitely have them on as well. But James and I will wrap things up. Uh, we'll do a quick little thing like kind of like this tonight, and then we'll have the big guns on a little bit later as well. Um, be sure if you're not a Patreon subscriber to um, go ahead and do that. And James, can it, let them know how they can do that. To be a Patreon subscriber, yeah, so you yep. can follow you can follow Future Stocks on Twitter. We have it linked down there, I believe. And if yep. we don't, then we can then we can link it. Um, I think it's like two dollars a month or something. You get some pretty good content here coming coming soon. Scouting notes and uh, specialty pieces and stuff like that. So, all right, yep, we're on Twitter at Future Socks, Facebook Future Socks, all that good stuff. Um, we will uh, we'll be back later this week. Draft is Monday night. James, uh, thanks for uh, thanks for joining me here tonight, and I look forward to seeing what the Sox do tomorrow night. All right, Clint, thanks for having me. All right, that's it. That's another Future Sox podcast.